0: and data and analytics so if you were looking to upskill yourself or your team for just two and a half hours each week and get access to a network with our industry's giants through our live sessions do check out the school of marketing website for more deeds already for now enjoy the show
1: well good morning good afternoon good evening wherever you are in the world and welcome to another edition of the places we will go show once again got a stellar guest for you claire Beale, and i will just go on to introduce claire but firstly uh, welcome claire great to have you on the show
2: Hello, thank you so much for having me very early, but um, I'm uh, I'm trying to pep myself up with lots of caffeine this morning.
1: Yes, well, uh, um, that's right. For, you may not have realized, but we're still going out eight o'clock on a Friday, even though we sort of publish it whenever during the day. But yeah, our guests are sort of, you know, somewhat satisfied by the eight o'clock Friday, um, Friday morning thing. But anyway, welcome Claire. So just to introduce everybody to Claire, our stellar guest today. Um, Claire is, is most famously known for working at Campaign for 20 years, so the preeminent UK marketing uh, publication, marketing and advertising publication. I, w- I would say Claire is right up there in the top. I remember Brian Clough used to say, I'm not the best, but I'm in the top one. Um, but Claire is one of the most hugely respected journalists in the marketing and advertising world. Uh, and I think there's that, that comes from um, both strong empathy and very strong insight and curiosity. And it reminds me a little bit of Kim Scott's Radical Candor book, you know, High Challenge, High Care. Um, You you, you dig in because you care, as opposed to choosing not to dig in because you care, if you see what I mean. Um, I've also got a bit of a personal story with Claire and that Claire really was um, integral to getting the marketing industry sprint-a-thon off the ground with Campaign 2019, including featuring in the, the ad for the event uh, which was which was very brave of you, Claire, so I thank you again for that. Um, but then things never go perfectly, and we'll talk about the fact that as a result of restructuring a campaign after 20 years, and maybe Claire would have stayed there for a lot longer, uh, that job was made redundant, and so Claire had, uh, came to a fork in the road and is now co-founder uh, of the Creative Salon, which many people will be aware of. Uh, And the Creative Salon is essentially a member's services, but also provides uh, training and advisory services to marketers and agencies. Uh, And we'll go on to hear a lot more about what Creative Salon is trying to do. Um, One thing to note about it is that Claire and Sonny have pledged 10% or at least 10% of profits every year to organisations that are helping the next generation of diverse talent, which is why there's a huge spiritual alignment with the School of Marketing. Final thing to say is I asked Sonny for a little bit about what she thinks about Claire. So this is this sort of unexpected bit, maybe, Claire. Um, This is what Sonny said. Uh, I don't think I had ever dreamt that one day I would be Claire Beale's business partner. The brackets here is they were kind of rivals back in the day. Uh, A journalist I've always hugely admired. Before we became business partners, I often used to think reading her or watching her, if Claire had been a painting, she would have busted the frame. Now that I really know her, the one thing that truly sets her apart is her generosity of spirit, so rare and so very special. The acts of nurturing, championing, listening all come very easily to Claire, and I continue to learn. There you go. So brilliant to have you on the show, Claire. Very welcome. And I'll hand to Richie to get us started.
0: Oh, thank you, Mark, and what, thank you so much, Claire, for being on this morning. Uh, honestly, it's it's a real privilege for both of us, and it's great to great to finally meet you. I've read so much of your work in the past, so it's really good to to put a face to to all that literally um, prowess as it were. Well. But look, let me get started with the first question here. Um, am I right in saying that you would be a first-time founder with the Creative Salon?
2: Yeah, uh, absolutely. I must say, I never ha- have spent a moment up until being made redundant, thinking one day I really want to launch my own business. So it was never an ambition. Um, uh, I think Mark alluded to it in his introduction. I loved my job and I probably would have stayed there uh, until I retired and then I would have died and that would have been my life and I would have been very happy with it. So, no, it was never a burning ambition. Um, but like so many things in life, when uh, when you kind of find yourself at that moment where you have to um, – uh, play your hand. Uh, I did it, and I've. I'm so happy to have uh, now have that founder um, tag after my name because it's been an amazing journey so far.
0: And I just want to uh, tell us a little bit more, right? Because clearly, doing it in this moment in time, the last couple of years, you know, all the turbulence that go along with it. How's the journey been? Like, I mean, enjoyable or give give us the lowdown.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was born. Creative Salon was born out of. Um, I'm not a necessity. I've got a major redundant and I have a mortgage to pay and, um, you know, I've got two kids and so I, I needed some income. I couldn't just slink off into the shadows. So it was, it was born out of necessity. Um, but from the minute I um, was told I was going into consultation at Campaign, I never felt anything other than excitement because suddenly my um, – my history, the rest of my life was an unwritten story. So that was instantly thrilling. And I've approached um, this whole journey, and I know Sunu has too, with really open mind, open heart, and looking for the, the joy in this experience. So um, it, it has been um, really exciting. And I think we've both felt that we've proved things to ourselves and stretched ourselves in ways that we um we would never have dreamed of and i guess most importantly to say right up front is um we have done very well so far because we've had so much support from the industry um so yeah it's it's uh, it's a really lovely um opportunity for us to give something back and that that just means every day we kind of go into it with a spirit of, of love, which I felt uncomfortable saying in the early days because we were really clear that this business was, had love at its heart, uh, love for the industry, love for the people, love for the kind of uh, next generation of talent that we could see, you know, knocking on the door. Um, and uh, I used to stumble in meetings when we were kind of trying to explain to people what we were doing because the word love isn't really used in a business context very often, but you know it definitely sits at the core of of what we're doing.
1: Um, yeah, I mean it's not a word that's really come up very much. Redundancy has come up a lot on the show, um, yeah. and I, I love the expression "don't be don't be sad it's over, be glad that it happened." Yeah, um, and then the other thought, of course, is that everything we do is practice for the next thing. And so, the positive payback of all the connections and uh, gifts that you've given through your working campaign probably did help. Um, I'm actually interested to know a little bit more about Spirit of Love. So, what does that what does that mean? What do you give to the back to the industry? What's the give and get? How does it all work?
2: Well, I think both of us feel that we have um, benefited and had a very privileged. Career to date because we've we've been I mean Sanu uh, sunu came to this country 20 years ago she was born in India and started her career out there so she turned up in the UK um, and didn't know anybody and started a job um, at Marketing Week actually and instantly felt that she was taken into the bosom of the industry and found lots of people very supportive and she uh, she fan mentors and champions and she very much feels a debt of gratitude to um the the industry and the people in it um and I kind of feel the same I I arrived in London with um knowing nobody definitely not coming from that kind of background where you 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 had godparents who worked in advertising or I knew nothing knew nobody had not had nothing um and uh we feel that we've had a very uh, privileged careers, not financially, but emotionally and um, inspirationally because of the brilliant people we've met in the industry. And, and so it's been good to us. So that's where the, the love comes from. And to be honest, I think we've both worked for companies in our time who um, make, make money out of the industry, and it's just... a a revenue stream amongst many others for the companies. Um, And we were really clear that we wanted our business to start from the position of what can we do to support, champion, celebrate, um, help kind of pave the way for a successful future for the industry, Um, not how much money can we make out of it. And it kind of helped that neither of us came from um, jobs that were, hugely highly paid so we we didn't go into it with any any kind of financial expectations at all um it was very much about we've we've had a really privileged time what can we do to um give back some of that support
0: Nuclear i really love that ethos and and it is a rarity in our space and so i think you're really touching on something that resonates with with a, certainly ourselves but i'm sure a wider audience as well um i really want to um dig a little deeper into, you talk about the role of, of love, and I, and I just can all, almost get a sense that both you and Sonu have a lot of love for each other, and in what you both love and respect, I suspect, is probably a good way of phrasing it. But what what have you felt has been the role of being a co-founder? Yeah. And would you want to go on this journey by yourself had Sonu not been in the picture?
2: Yeah, no, I definitely wouldn't have wanted to go on the journey by myself because I, I'd never seen myself as... Um, a founder, a business person, an entrepreneur in any sense. Um, Yeah, I know, I mean, I I, I had some responsibility for a significant amount of revenue when I was at Campaign, but I was never setting budgets. Um, uh, I I knew very little about the kind of mechanics of of running a business and neither did Sanu. But to share the um, the learnings together has been really helpful because in every meeting where we've been bombarded by lots of information about spreadsheets and projections and uh, you know whatever I haven't understood she has or whatever she hasn't understood I have and so at a very practical level it's been um, really good to have a, a partner um, and I should say here it's the the business is uh, uh, was founded by me and Sanu, but very early on we brought in our colleague, Jeremy Lee, who also used to work for Campaign. So kind of the three of us together have really established the business and Jeremy's been a really fundamental part of, of it as well. Um, but with Sunu and I, I think we, um, because we we never really, we didn't know each other that well, I have to say, before we went into business, we'd kind of worked together a little bit and we'd certainly circled each other for a long time. But instinctively, we knew we shared a lot of the same values. We liked the same people. We love the sitting in um, meetings, talking about creative ideas and um, strategy. And we just and we love the social side of the industry as well, going out and meeting people. So to share all of that with somebody, to have um, a kind of uh, uh, somebody by my side that I can text any time of the day and night, going. Oh, this was amazing, wasn't it? And sharing the highs and lows. And it's all the cliched stuff. Um, but I, I'd never really appreciated before how joyful that could be.
1: Yeah. And uh, we shouldn't forget Jeremy. I actually bumped into Jeremy last weekend. And uh, yeah, he is an important part of the triumvirate. So good call out. Let, let's go back in time. Um, 20 years at Campaign. Uh, I suppose the two obvious questions. Yeah, how did you land that job? And what, what kept you there for so long?
2: Yeah, well, I, I was actually with, uh, so campaigns published by a company called Haymarket. Um, and I joined Haymarket, I think, well, I was there for 27 years. So I joined uh, in the early 90s. Um, and I did, I'm going back a long, long time, obviously. But I, when I was at university, I did a degree in English. And everybody on my course um, was applying this was in the late 80s everyone was applying for jobs in advertising or journalism and I found a job advertising in the Guardian in the days when jobs were advertised in newspapers I found a job um, with a company called MediaTel which is still going and thriving um, to be a journalist writing about advertising and media and marketing and I didn't know what I wanted to do but this kind of seemed to combine the things that everybody around me wanted to do so that was my first job in the industry. And it actually was, uh, I was writing online news back at the tail end of the 80s. And it was, uh, I don't, those of you old enough to remember the days of Prestel and Oracle, where it was a kind of very um, uh, basic digital content delivered on a, through a telephone line. Um, so were, it was a pioneer. Um, but yeah, that was my first job, digital news writing.
1: Then and then, 20, 20 years or twenty seven years. What what kept you? What kept you there?
2: Well, so once I joined Campaign, um, uh, Haymarket was a great company to work for. O- obviously, it was a family-run business, and uh, you know it, it has um, successfully had people kind of staying around for a long time. So it was obviously some corporately they were doing something right because there were a lot of people that stayed for a long time. Um, I just, I, I never have sat there thinking uh, this is where I want to get to in three years time, five years time. So I never, I, I never was an ambitious person. Um, I was only ambitious for in the moment, I want to get the best story. Um, I want to meet uh, the elusive person. Um, uh, I want to have my byline on the front page. That That was the kind of the extent of my ambition. It was very uh, day by day. Um, but when I got there, I just, uh, I find the industry so fascinating. And obviously, if you look at the span of my career, uh, over 25 years, while I was there, 27 years, how much the industry has changed. So when I started out, we were, um, we were writing on um, computers, but there was a, still a lot of cut and pasting that went into making a weekly print magazine. Um, Fast forward and it worked and campaign was a weekly print magazine. So you worked hard three days a week and then there was nothing to do for two days a week because the news cycle didn't start until the following week. Um, So it was a very, very different time, very, very different job. Um, And the industry itself was much simpler. There were two commercial channels and um, Sky was, was just getting off the ground. So if you Imagine how the arc of the industry has developed over that time. There's always been something new and challenging to learn. Um, and I just have found found myself surrounded by people that I have always found fascinating, inspiring, challenging, um, thought provoking, you know, filling me with uh I've never, I have to say, and the immense privilege of that job over all of that time, I don't think I ever woke up in the morning thinking, I don't wanna to go to work today. I don't, I think I've gotten a, a difficult day ahead of me. I never ever felt that in a quarter of a century, which, yeah, I, I realize is a massive privilege.
0: I, you care, that, I- that, that, that certainly is a bit of a rarity. Um, and I'm I am super intrigued about this, you know, the, the thinking around not planning you know, uh, a longer term game plan, as it were, for your career, and you know, even use the term wasn't ambitious in, I guess, a conventional sense of that of that term, but more ambitious in the sense of really creating the best stories, getting the best um, sort of editorial elements to it. I wonder if, if perhaps you were reflecting on that, that thought, would you do anything differently? And if you were then advising perhaps your younger self, Would it have been exactly the same that you'd have, you know, that's the way you'd have carved out your career in in that way?
2: I think, I I mean, I think it is very good to have a career plan and have some idea of where you want to uh, end up. And, uh, you know, I still have a big mortgage, not a big mortgage. I still have a mortgage that I struggle to pay every month. Um, And I would have liked to have had a bit more kind of, ambition around um my financial acumen and working out how uh as I got older my salary kind of kept pace with my um my age and experience which it it kind of never really did Um, so in that sense yes Uh, I suppose you know just the experience that I've had over the last 18 months um there's a tiny voice at the back of my head that says if you only found yourself in this position 10 years earlier, how much more uh, energy would you have for it? How much more um, kind of could you have thrown yourself into it? You know, I do have, uh, I do have kids. I do have lots of other kind of things going on in my life. Um, But I don't know. I, I, what would I have lost in terms of the, um, the joys of working in that job at campaign for so long um, you know I did I saw campaign through into its international expansion and I ended up running a network of eight editorial teams around the world and um so I would have I would have lost that experience perhaps but if I was talking to a young person now or talking to my kids yeah I think you need to have a plan of how you're gonna um uh, not move up the career ladder. I think that's a very old-fashioned way of looking at it. And that, that certainly, had I thought about it, that would have been the way I would have viewed my career as this kind of vertical ascent. And I, I don't think that's um, that doesn't feel appropriate anymore. I think finding what you're good at and finding um, uh, being happy to have a, a more horizontal career I think is a really healthy thing. Uh, i guess it's just making sure that um as your uh responsibilities and your um your life changes that your your um your salary keeps pace with that uh, and that your experience is rewarded um and respected by the people around you um,
1: we we you, you started to talk about purpose a bit there Um, I want to talk about that but come back to it because the I want to talk a little bit about you know your love of the craft of advertising and writing about advertising we had Stephen Woodford on a couple of weeks ago and you know he was talking about some of the best advertising he can remember in particular 1984 obviously is a classic Um, so I mean what's some of the what's some of the best stories that you've written about some of the best advertising that you've seen and heard?
2: Um, gosh, that is a tough question, not, not at least because I'm very, uh, loath to look back too much right now, to be honest. Mm-hmm. There was a moment when I was a campaign where we did the 50th anniversary of that magazine and it felt like a, a moment in the industry. So this was, uh, 2018. Um, and it felt like a, a moment in the industry where we were poised, uh, on the kind of the tail end of um what had been probably a golden, a golden period in British advertising. Uh, and we were heading into a much more digitally centric um internationalized future. Um and we did a a really heartfelt celebration of the people and the work. Uh and I think we did justice to five decades of um, a vibrant, world-beating industry. But from that moment on, I was really clear, I'm not looking back anymore. So I Mm -hmm. I tried very, very hard not to be one of these people that for a moment thinks, oh, the work used to be better or um, uh, the agencies used to have more respect for clients or the... um, there was more uh, ca- colorful entrepreneurs in the industry, or anything like that. You know, I'm really clear that I'm facing forwards. So it is a difficult question to ask. I mean, I remember um, sitting in meetings and seeing things like Guinness Surfer um, and uh, the um, being shown showcased some of the reels from the agencies at the the end of the 80s and into the 90s and just feeling dazzled by the breadth of exciting work i one thing that i really remember actually was a i can't remember the event but it was a um a tribute that was paid to john hegarty and they played all of his levi's ads on a big screen um and i always think seeing seeing advertising in a, a kind of collective moment where you're sharing the experience with a lot of other people and it's big and it's, it's shown in all its glory. That is a, always for me, one of those moments where I catch my breath and the hairs on the back of your neck go up. Um, so I remember moments like that where just the the sheer brilliance of the industry is, is shown loud and proud. Um, but yeah, I'm Mark, I'm really, I'm really looking forward. Mm. Uh, you yeah, know, I think uh, there's so many more exciting things to come.
0: Uh, by the way, I, I love that phrase, facing forwards. And I think that is, you know, um, I, I think we all need to sort of look to the future, certainly given the last couple of years, perhaps a lot of people want to put those couple of years behind in, in many ways. But tell us a little bit about what you see as the key opportunities then as you face forwards.
2: For me or for the industry or both?
0: Let's do both.
2: Okay, for both. I think there's a um uh we've already mentioned the word entrepreneurialism a couple of times this morning but um i do think there's a bubbling uh renewed energy around people striking out um and that the that there are as the business has become um on the one hand very internationalized and the holding company uh has become dominant um and has rearranged uh in many ways, rearranged the big brands into more collegiate um, groupings. That's created space at the smaller end of the market, I think, for new types of agencies to come through. And I find that really, really exciting. Um, for Creative Salon, obviously, what we're trying to do is create a different type of um, platform that is very relentlessly focused on celebrating the industry, making the case for commercial creativity, um being champions and supporters of the industry as opposed to chasing, uh, ambulance chasing headlines and clickbait stories. And we, we, we want to go uh, deeper and be more meaningful in the role that we play in the industry. And that feels like uh, fresh territory right now. So that's that's exciting for us. Um, we want to take our business to New York uh, so that's our next our next port of call so we definitely we want to expand beyond um, the London market Uh, so I'm really excited about that that's that's probably uh, end of this year early next year move Um, but yeah I'm learning so many new things and that is always exciting isn't it it It
1: is and the the um, the good intent must be quite invigorating. And let's just pick up on that positive intent. And, and maybe this links a little bit to purpose, I don't know, but uh, the fact you're giving 10% of your profits every year to help towards the next generation of talent or something of that ilk. Um, well, tell us a bit more about the, the why and what of that.
2: Okay, so we were, um, as I said right at the beginning, we we were really clear that we were the only reason to create our business. Nobody needs any more content in their lives. Nobody is sitting there with five minutes that they don't know how to fill. So we were really clear that whatever we did had to um, inspire people, um, support people, and secure a pipeline um, of brilliant, diverse, new talent for the industry to secure its future. Um, And all wrapped up in this kind of, we're doing it because we care about the companies, the people and the future. Um, so that was our, our starting point and from there we spent a lot of time thinking maybe we could buy it. We kind of did, we got quite far down the road of um, thinking let's buy a house, um, let's take a big gamble, get a loan, buy a house uh, where we can put up, uh, we found one in Stoke Newington that had eight bedrooms We could put up eight people who would never normally be able to live in London uh, and do it rent free for a whole year. And they'd create their own little community of young people and then they'd move on and another eight would come in. And it would would have been very kind of, you know, eight people is not very many, but um, it would have been this kind of resource for the industry. Um, And then we the more we looked into it and the more we spoke to other people that are in this space, we realised there are lots of people doing great things um, already, and why would we um, take away any momentum from anybody else that's already out there doing it with with knowledge and experience, um, rather than us coming in and not quite knowing how to how to make it work properly? So, in the end, we decided the best thing that we could do would be to use our skills and experience and our network to financially support those organisations that are already out there. Um, So this this idea of a minimum of 10%, we kind of plucked out of the air because um, what we want to do is make sure that we give as much as we can. But I think we we didn't want to make a public commitment about 60% in our early days when we needed money to to kind of get our momentum behind our business. So it's a minimum of 10%, um, but hopefully that will increasingly translate into meaningful amounts of money. Um, and we chose our first partner as the Bricks and Finishing School because we'd met Ali a few times and really admired what they were doing there. Um, uh, I mean, 10% of our profits in the first year isn't going to go very far, but it um, might pay for tea and biscuits in, uh, down at the school in some meetings. Um, but we're going to take an intern from there. We're going to uh, use... Our business as an opportunity for some um, some of the young people going through that school as well to um, come into the industry, get a taste for it, meet the people that we meet, sit in the meetings that we sit in, where we're privileged to um, you know all of this inspiring, uh, informative information. Um, so that's where it started from, but it, it is totally predicated on supporting the industry and giving back and and we love it so what can we do to make sure it's still here and thriving in 10 or 15 20 years time 50 years time and we're really clear that it will only thrive if it makes sure it's getting the best talent in from the widest possible um types of people who can uh, who can really craft a more uh future-facing, modern uh, industry that reflects the people it's talking to.
0: Gosh, it, uh, absolutely. And I think, you know, we we concur, certainly the School of Marketing, it's a very similar sort of thought process. And, you know, if you look at the stats around, um, I think the two sort of, you know, beyond the, the high-level barriers that exist for diverse talent to get in, actually we have a an as big a problem in retaining them because it feels like you can get someone Potentially get someone through, but once you do that, actually keeping them happy in an industry which is dominated with all the, the biases that we all know uh, exist yes. is is a, a real challenge. Um, and and it really feels like systemic change needs to happen in order for us to realize any real momentum in this in this area. I would uh, I would urge you to think about apprenticeships as part of that internship sort of movement. Um, clearly a big plug here, but I think really important. Because, uh, in fact, I was I was talking to Mark to me just the other week. And it's funny, if you look at the context of further education and higher education, the term apprenticeships in its current guides has only been around four or five years, you know, in the light of day when further education and higher education has been around for hundreds. Yeah. So we're really at the, the nascent stages of this new sort of vocational type type movement where people can, can have an opportunity to learn and earn at the same time, not come out with debt, um, and it really benefits... A uh, sort of socioeconomic young person in a different way than uh, you know than the the traditional individual you might see going to university. So there really is something to be had there, which I think is powerful. So
2: um so we should talk more.
0: Fighting, fighting that fight. Honestly, it's um and and by the way, apprenticeship. There's huge barriers to it as well. Um, but anyway, we digress. Um, passion point. Here we go. You touched a nerve, Claire. You touched a nerve. Um, but anyway, I, you know, I really. I really want to sort of get your sense for the role of mentorship, particularly when you talked about, you know, how the intern was able to kind of come to your meetings and learn from you. What's the role of mentoring that's played in your life um, to get, to get to the success that you've achieved?
2: Well, I never have had, or had a formal mentor. Um, maybe it's a partly a factor of my age and that when I was um, early on in my career, these things weren't, so much part of the kind of corporate landscape um but there were certainly uh a couple of people who i would say were always um so one would be john Bartle, who was a founder of um and the other one would be jeremy ballmore um who's uh, a legend in the industry both of them are um uh, several years older than I am, and both of them have been incredibly kind and supportive all the way through my career. So um, it, there was no sense in which they were officially given me as a um, somebody to mentor, but they both took it upon themselves to um, play that role in a soft way. Uh, by the same token, I have never officially been a mentor um, of anybody, but obviously I've run teams and uh, we're thing about an editorial team is it, it's a very close-knit team um, and we, uh, we've we always tended to kind of hire people straight out of um, uh, college and university and then groom them into the ways of campaign. So uh, that's just kind of, to be honest, that's as, as close as I've got to that word, mentor. Um, and I'm really supportive of the idea of formalizing the process because I think it it can drift into let's just have a nice lunch
0: <coughs>
2: or, um, you know, kind of a cat- the odd catch up where there's not, not really any clear agenda. Um, so I really support the idea of it being, uh, you know, having proper purpose behind it. Um, but I, I have to say in my career, it it's never really been something that has um ha, has been something that I would say was a a formal track that I've been able to go down. Yep. I love um, the idea of reverse mentoring, by the way. I I think if anything, that's what I need right now is uh reverse mentoring. Um uh because I I find a lot of my energy and inspiration now is coming from um, the younger people around me who are coming in with, I have been around in this industry for a long time. Um, I love seeing it through the eyes of uh, new people coming in. Um, And uh, both of my kids don't speak to me anymore. So the more kind of young people I can can spend time with who are opening my eyes to different ways of looking at things, I really welcome that. So yeah, reverse mentoring.
0: Well, Claire, we should definitely talk because we can yeah. help. There we
2: I'd go. Like, I'd like that.
1: I think yeah, done, done well. Uh, it's it's a very it's a highly mutual process mentoring. Um, I want to just rewind to a couple of years ago, and we, we we've talked with many of our guests about redundancy, and many people have said that those setbacks have been the precondition to their success um myself being made redundant a few times i, I, I mean it's p- painful as it is how, how do you dust yourself down after that kind of uh was it was it a surprise how did you process it how yeah. did you just yourself down
2: Um i've actually been made redundant twice in my life once when i was um i think maybe about 24 so i got made redundant for my first job when uh <clears throat> the I think it was the dot-com bubble burst or maybe there was a recession anyway in, um, in the early 90s and I got made redundant. And I remember um, being really in floods of tears thinking I'm never going to work again. Um, and as so often happens when I talk to other people around me who've been through similar situations, the best possible thing came out of that experience in that I – that's when I moved to Haymarket. I was only out of work for a, a few weeks I ended up moving in with my boyfriend at the time, who I've now been with for 30 years, and blah 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 blah. Um, when I got made redundant from Campaign, um, I, I was what, the initial conversation that you have, and it was this was in the middle of the first lockdown, so it was all done remotely, um, and it was obviously a time of uh, chaos and people not really knowing what the future would hold. So this was. Um, May June 2020, and uh, I got called into a Zoom meeting, um, and I kind of knew because they they'd said we're going to put people into consultation. So if you if you're going into consultation, you'll get a you, you'll find a diary invite in your diary. So I kind of knew that conversation was coming, um, and um, uh, they were they ended up taking out the whole con- division that I was part of. So it it didn't feel personal particularly but I had been there for a long time um and I was you know I was probably a more expensive person um and in the spirit of new blood yeah frankly maybe it, had, it was time that I moved on um so I never had that moment of it's unfair um it's uh a bad they've made a bad decision I totally embraced it I was up but I think I was a little bit my voice was a bit wobbly in the meeting, maybe. But the minute that meeting ended, um, I was fired up. I I, to, I didn't have a problem with the decision. I thought it was, I understood the decision. And I thought, here's my life being given a different opportunity. And it, I must admit, it really helped that within, I don't know how these new, this news gets out, although I should do, because I spent my entire life as a journalist trying to find out news before anyone else, but... Within maybe two hours of coming out of that consultation meeting, I had a call from a very, very senior person in the industry saying, I've just heard this. I don't know if it's true. um But if it is true, I'm going to get in a cab and I'll come over to you now. It was in lockdown, so I will not reveal who it was who was um, wanting to come over. But um whatever happens, I'm here for you. I'm going to support you, look after you. And uh, and then within a few hours of that, this person's big global boss called me and said, Yeah, there's always a place here for you. So instantly I felt, whatever happens, I'm gonna be okay. So I was really lucky in that sense. Um uh and it it just I I remember waking up the next day thinking, wow, it's exciting. This is. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen for the next ten years of my career now? Um, and I've never had that for a long, 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 long time.
0: And and what a lovely way of looking at it, you know, the half glass full sort of analogy here, because you know it could could have swung in your mind either which way, being very nostalgic. But as you say, face forwards, right, facing forwards and yeah. moving on. And and what a what a wonderful individual to have in your life but it just goes to show how much support you've garnered over the year Claire and you know how much goodwill that you've created which has springboarded into what you're doing now so I can only applaud you for that um, we're certainly at the end of our segment here but I'm just going to finish on one last question particularly as you as you suggest that you know you got uh, the next era the next innings that you're currently on um, but you did say that you'd be more than happy to have you know lived out your career with campaign. Um, but I just want to get a, get a sense from you as to what your vision is for yourself for the future. What would you say you'd want to have your legacy in this next era as you move forward?
2: Um, I would love to think that I I leave, when I leave the industry, that I leave it um, having done everything I could do to make sure it's got a good future ahead of it. Um, and uh, that everybody that has come into contact with me feels that I've added something to To them and being a a support to them, but um, you know, I really want to spread some joy as well. I think um, I want I want my business and my me and my colleagues to be uh, a point of um, positivity and fun and uh, you know happy champions of the business. And I think if I if I end my career being known as a happy champion. (laughs) Um, that spreads some joy and does some good and uh, paves the way for the people coming up behind us to, uh, to take that on, then I'll I'll be really happy.
1: Well, that's what a lovely, uplifting way to end. Claire, it's been a a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, I'm going to do my best just to share what I think I've taken away from this experience and then hand to Ritchie to to close. But um, we we started talking, talking about the spirit of love and, um, there was just there's just a generosity and a humility that comes through in everything you say. You use the word privilege a lot, um, both in, in in a more multi dimensional way than people normally talk to it. The, the the privilege of the experiences you've had when people normally talk about sort of wealth or education. Uh, and so um, yeah, I, there's a there's a huge amount of generosity that comes through. The, the second thing I say is that very values based. So the way that you talked about your relationship with Sanu, um, the good intent of the creative sal- salon. Uh, and just generally, you know, a very values-based individual, which is which is lovely to hear. Um, I'm also very struck by the way you talked about ambition in a slightly different way. The ambition for the output, rather than a yearning for something on the never-never in the future. You know, be present, focus on the now, be great in the now, uh, and, and a lot will follow. Uh, of course, facing forwards, what a great way to talk about things. And that positivity, uh, you know, to say that I understood the decision being made redundant and I was fired up and within two hours wheels were in motion not a lot of people are sort of that bounce backable uh so that you know that fire in your belly really comes through uh, so it's been lovely to have you on and, and I, I wish you every every success both with the creative salon but also as a happy champion oh. what, what a what a nice way to think about what your legacy might be and I'm sure you will go on to achieve it so thank you again for coming on the show Claire and I'll pass to Richie for final words
0: well, wow, Thank you, Mark. And you, I think you've summed up and taken, taken a lot of uh, breath out of the words I was going to say. But so it just leaves me really to say that I think we're kindred spirits in, in the impact and ambition that we we have for the industry, but doing so to really leave that positive impact. And I think that's, I hope that today is the start of our conversations to come as opposed to the end. So I'm really glad that I've finally been able to put a face to all the, the writings that I've read over the years. And it's just such a pleasure to get to meet you finally, Claire.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. Absolute joy. Thank you.